while you're getting to Numbers chapter 20, we're continuing in a series that we've been going through in the book of Numbers. And, you know, last week we uh, talked about this, you know, we see these spies who were spying out the land of Canaan and they come back and they have good news. The land is a land filled, flowing with milk and honey. It's good agriculturally. It's, it it's, would be a great land, but here's the problem. The people there, they're big and they're numerous and the cities are large and the, the cities are fortified and there's just nothing that we can do. And yet Caleb's like, no, God has already promised us this land. God has already told us this land belongs to us. Let's go take it. God's already got the victory. God has already won. We just need to go and do what he tells us to do. He's on our side. But the spies bring this bad report and the people as they usually do the israelites they grumble and complain and they start to say why did you bring us out here we would have been better to die in egypt or die in the the wilderness why have you brought us to this point and they're trying to remind the people but yet they just keep getting angry and they get angry to the point where they want to stone moses and aaron and uh, those who were with them and it was finally God, you know, he intervenes and he's like, let me just, let me just start over. I'll just wipe them out. We'll start over with you, Moses, and things will be better. It'll be a better nation. But Moses goes before God in prayer and say, hey, remember your covenant with them. Remember your covenant with them. And so God says, okay, I will do that, but there's going to be punishment. And the punishment is a whole generation will die in the wilderness. They'll die in the wilderness. And you know, it's this idea that we need to live with faith, right? Like, we need to live with faith and believe that God is going to do everything he says he's going to do, but so often we choose rather to live in unbelief. We choose to believe that God's not going to carry through on his promises, that he's not big enough to do all the things that he says he will do. More often, by, rather than living by faith, we live by unbelief. And so we fast forward a little bit to Numbers chapter 20, verse 2. And Walt Disney once said that the past can hurt, but the way I see it, you can either run from it or you can learn from it. The past can hurt, we can run from it or we can learn from it. And as I look back on my life, the first thing I think, and I'm going to say this knowing that they're not here this morning, but they are probably watching. And if they're not watching, they will watch later. I feel really bad for my parents. I do. When I was growing up, I think back about some of the mistakes that I made growing up. I mean, they had two boys who did some pretty stupid things when they were growing up. If you don't mind, I'll, I'll share a few silly mistakes I made when I was growing up, and I'll share a little bit of my brother's mistakes as well. Um, I'll tell you this. I've, you, I've never told anyone here this. I've had my head cracked open three times in my life, and so let me tell you about these. The uh, first one, imagine it's a summer day. And it's hot, and, you know, I want to go outside, I, uh, I want to play in the water, I want to, it's nice outside, even though it's hot, I'm a kid, I'm, you know, now I'm, I go outside and it's hot, and I'm like, ugh, I hate the heat. But then I didn't care, and so I'm running around in the sprinkler, and then I get this great idea. What if I run through the sprinkler and then go and jump on the monkey bar that we had? 
sound brilliant to me. So I run through the sprinkler, soaking wet. As soon as my hand hits the, the swinging bar, off I go, right onto some rocks and crack my head open, had to go and get stitches. Then there was this one time, me and my brother were fighting over a toy water gun. A toy water gun, okay? Nothing important, but we're fighting, and, you know, I push him into our brick fireplace that we had in our uh, house at the time in Colorado, and he cracks his head open, and he has to go get stitches. Now, this isn't, some of you have met my brother, some of you haven't. Uh, you know, this wasn't, you know, former police officer, military trained brother. This is, I was older and slightly bigger, and, you know, I used my, uh, my age to my advantage in that moment. If I tried that now, it wouldn't go so well. Then there was this time that we're just roughhousing, as boys do, and he pushes me into the wall and cracked my head open. Same spot, had to get stitches again. Then, fast forward to high school. You know, I'm working at Walmart in high school. I'm doing maintenance. I worked all over the place. This night, I just happened to be working in maintenance and I'm cleaning the restroom, and I'm picking up trash, and I don't pay attention to where I'm at. I raise my head, bam, right on the hand dryer. Head starts bleeding. I go to my boss, I, I think I need to go home. Why, why are you trying to get out of work? Um, my head is bleeding. Oh yeah, yeah, you should probably get out of here. Like, do you need to go to the hospital? No, I think I'm fine, I'm just gonna drive home. I lived in Salina, this, I worked in Pryor, I drove home 20 minutes, one hand on the wheel, the other hand with a napkin on my head. I get home, my mom's like, what are you doing home? You're not supposed to get, you get off work at 10. Why are you here so early? Well, I cracked my head open. Uh, okay, do you, I didn't need stitches, luckily it wasn't that bad. Learned a lesson. Be mindful of your surroundings. Be careful what you do. Pay attention to what you're doing. Think before you do things sometimes. Those are all things that my parents would tell us, and then when the consequences came, they'd be like, I told you this was gonna happen. One more lesson that I learned. I was in high school, and we're running around at our grandparents' house, and he's chasing after me, and I run, and I trip and fall, and I'm trying to grab anything I can to slow down my fall, and just happens that the one person around me is my grandmother, and I grab her, thinking that, oh, I'll stay upright, that'll be what happens. No, I fall down, but I bring her with me. Now, this lady was tough as nails. She, uh, she ended up falling and breaking her wrist, and even though she was like, yeah, I'm fine, I'm good, let you, you know, I probably need to go to the hospital, but I'm fine. Um, ended up, I felt horrible for a long time because of this. You know, all the things that my grandmother had went through, and I'm thinking like, man, I caused her to break her wrist. I'm horrible. Well, she told me it was okay. She forgave me, but I learned then, don't run in small places with people around. You might fall and knock somebody over and something happens. You see, sometimes the lessons that we learn are from the mistakes that we make. Maybe it's 
you know, something as simple as him banging into a hand dryer, which by the way, the next day when I came back to work, I heard all of the rumors. You know, they found me passed out in the bathroom. There was blood everywhere. Um, they had to come in and will me out. And uh, I even heard one, somebody carried me out of the uh, restroom and took me back to the back. And I was like, no, I left on my own and drove home. I, I was fine. That's not what happened. But you know, rumors. You know, I, I learned lessons from these mistakes. But here's the thing. Sometimes the lessons that we learn are not just from the mistakes that we make, but it's also from the mistakes of others. I mean, think about it. We have books and movies and podcasts and so many things centered on the life of other people, and we get to learn about their successes, but we also get to learn about their shortcomings, their mistakes, the, the things that they fell short on. And if we come with the right mindset, we can learn from them. Too often, we're fascinated, we're really fascinated, we're obsessed with the downfall of people. And I get it. One of the podcasts that I listened to a lot while it was going was the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, and I was listening to all the things that were happening at this church that caused this church to fall apart. But we can learn from the mistakes. And this morning, we find ourselves in a similar situation. We read the story of a leader who makes some mistakes. Mistakes that we ourselves make often. And we can learn lessons from the mistakes of this leader. We can learn some lessons about what we should do differently, but we can also remember in those mistakes just who God is. And so we're going to start in verse 2 of chapter 20. And it says this. It says, Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron, and the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into the wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. And we find here the people are in Kadesh, which was usually a very well-watered place, but now they find themselves without water. And this is probably the part you're thinking about asking here. Didn't we go over this already? Like, haven't we read this text? It feels like it. It's kind of that same story, different week, like over and over and over again. As soon as something happens... The Israelites grumble, and they complain, and they start to ask God, why? Why are we here? Why did you bring us here? Look at this land. There's no water. It's no place for figs or grains or pomegranates. Why are we here? They just constantly complain. They say, God, you should have just let us die with our brothers who perished before you. Why have you brought us out here to die? It's just constant complaining and no faith whatsoever. And so how is Moses going to handle this situation now? Well, in verse 6 through 9, he says this. It says, Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for, you, or for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. And so, in this difficult time, 
Moses and Aaron do the right thing. They go and they pray. They pray. They fall on their faces before God and they pray. And when they do this, the Lord shows up and he tells Moses, here is what you are to do. You are to take your staff. You and Aaron are to gather the people and you are going to tell this rock to produce water and water will come from the rock and the congregation will take water for them and they will give it to their livestock. The phrase here, this rock, it kind of leads us to believe that this was the only rock present, so as to not be in any confusion what rock is going to produce. This rock here will produce. You'd simply do what I ask you. You tell this rock to produce water, and I will do the rest. All Moses has to do is take the staff as the Lord tells him, tell the rock to bring out water. He needs to put his faith in what God has told him to do. And Moses and Aaron doing the right thing here, it's a reminder for us, and this is the first lesson we learn here, is that in times of trial, we go before God in prayer. We go before God in prayer. That is always the proper response. In difficult situations, in good situations, no matter what, it should be praise and prayer. Whatever the situation, that's the first thing that we should do, is call on the Lord in prayer. Psalm 50:15 tells us like this. It says, "And call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver you and you shall glorify me." The thing is this though, isn't it? We so often try to handle difficult situations on our own, by our own strength, by our own power instead of turning to the Lord. Right? Like if I can just do this one thing, then I will fix the problem. If I can do this, then I will change the course of everything else. If I can just do this one thing. And oftentimes, it seems like it doesn't really work out well for us, does it? It doesn't really go the way we think it will. I like how Andrew Murray says it. He says, do not strive in your own strength. Cast yourself at the feet of the Lord Jesus and wait upon him in the sure confidence that he is with you and works in you. Strive in prayer. Let faith fill your heart So will you be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might? We need to remember what the words of Scripture tells us in Psalm 55, 22. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. The first thing that we should do, no matter the situation, if it's a difficult situation, we pray. We pray, we go before him, and we rely on his strength, on his power, on his guidance, not on our own. And when it's a good situation, we praise. We praise God for what he has done. We cast all of our burdens, our anxieties on him. And that's what Moses and Aaron do. They go before the Lord, and they pray. But then we go into verses 10 through 13. And this is what it says. It says, Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock, or the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. 
You see, he does the right thing at first. He goes before the Lord in prayer, but then things quickly go awry. And we learn three very important lessons here. And the first one is this. In verse 10, it reminds us that the glory belongs to God, not to us. Glory belongs to God, not to us. You see, over and over again, Moses managed to keep things in check. Right? All the times the people have grumbled and complained, and the first thing that he does is he goes and he, he prays and he asks God, please remember your covenant, please remember your promise that you've made to these people. However, this time his anger and his pride get the better of him. Trevin Wax puts it this way. He says, remember how many times God was ready to destroy the people and Moses stepped in as the mediator asking for mercy? Moses never defended the people. He defended God's name. He never said, you know, Lord, the people aren't as bad as you're making them out to be. Cut them some slack. Every time Moses went to God on behalf of the people, he said, oh, Lord, because of your great name, save them. Have mercy on them. Show them grace so that you will get glory. Not because they deserve it, they don't, but because you deserve glory for salvation. But not this time. In this scene, God was ready to demonstrate his glory and holiness and how he showed mercy, and Moses was the one who balked at God's decision. Moses seemed to resent God's mercy in that moment when he said, listen, you rebels. In this case, he sounded more like Satan than the Savior. He was more like the accuser than the mediator. And he was angry at these people. Psalm 106, 32 through 33 says, they angered him at the waters of Meribah, and it went ill with Moses on their account. For they made his spirit bitter, and he spoke rashly with his lips. And notice what Moses does here in this moment in his anger and his frustration. We see him draw attention to himself and Aaron instead of God. Notice the phrase he uses, shall we bring water for you out of this rock in front of the people? It's we. Is it we that have to do this? It's not God is doing this. Remember the words of Psalm 115, verse 1, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Moses misspeaks here, and he turns the attention on themselves rather than what God is going to do and what God has done. And see, here's the thing. We do the same thing. How often do we take the mindset that what's about to happen is because of me? It's because of what I have done. You see, it was my hard work. It was my dedication. It was me who did this. We take the glory for things when the glory should really go to God. Or how often do we say things like, it's all on me. I have to do this. I have to be the one to provide. I have to be the one to do this. Rather than, I know God will provide. I know God will take care of. Sometimes we become so much about self rather than God. C.S. Lewis once said it like this, the moment you have a self at all, there is a possibility of putting yourself first, wanting to be the center, wanting to be God. In fact, that was the sin of Satan, and that was the sin he taught the human race. This idea that sometimes we want the glory, sometimes it's us, it's me, it's because of my fruits, it's because of my work that this is happening. But Paul reminds us of how this is really supposed to work. 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 7. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. 
So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. You see, Moses made a mistake that we need to learn from. God is the one to be glorified and not us. Because any fruit that we bear, our gifts, our blessings, none of those things are because of us. They're only because of him. He receives the glory. And then in verse 11, it teaches us another lesson. It teaches us that we are, when we're in a difficult situation, do not let anger take the place of faith and obedience. Do not let anger take the place of faith and obedience. Remember what Moses was supposed to do here. All he had to do was tell the rock to bring forth water and God would do the rest. But instead, what he does here is in his anger, he smacks the rock with the staff twice. Instead of trusting God and putting his faith in what God said and being obedient, he lets his frustration get the better of him. And you see, really, this was nothing new for Moses. This was an issue that he had. Sometimes it was righteous anger. Sometimes, a lot of times, it wasn't. Think about it. When trying to protect a Jewish slave, he killed an Egyptian in anger. Later, he gets angry at Pharaoh for not allowing the Jews to leave Egypt. And when he came down from Mount Sinai with the tablets of the law and he saw the Jews sinning, he threw them down and he broke them in anger. And I like how it's worded here. It was an article I read. After a lifetime of God working with him so he would overcome his anger problem, it was when he struck the rock twice instead of just speaking to it as God had said, Moses defeated many great enemies in his lifetime, but was defeated by one that overcame him, his own anger. And you see, there is a right time and a right way to be frustrated. But oftentimes, we go way over that line. Moses struggled with this, and here it gets the better of him. And he let his anger in this moment replace his faith and obedience. He knew what God would do. He knew that God would do what he promised. He knew all he had to do was tell the stone to bring up water and God would do the rest. But we know this all too well, don't we? How easy it is to let our anger get the best of us. How easy it is to get frustrated at the situations of life. How easy it is to let our anger and our grief and our frustration over something just completely outweigh everything else in our lives. Scripture warns us about the danger of anger. In James 1, 19 through 20, it says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, it says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. You see, our anger, it does not produce righteousness, And instead, it gives the enemy an opportunity to trap us. And it does, doesn't it? Think about it like this. Instead of building others up with our words, in our anger, we tear them down. We get so frustrated and we get so angry that instead of trying to build others up with our words, we just tear them down and we tear them apart. How many acts of senseless violence happen all over the place just because of anger? And really, so often, it keeps us from really believing and trusting in him fully and doing what he says. 
We get so frustrated and angry when things don't go according to our plan. We get so frustrated and so bitter when things aren't happening the way we want them to. And so what do we do? We start to believe that God is not good. God, if you're so good, then fix this. God, if you're so good, then why is nothing going according to plan? God, why should I do what you tell me to do? All I've gotten so far is nothing. We let our anger and bitterness over a situation, we direct it at God and say, God, this is all your fault. And we, keep, we let our anger keep us from believing and trusting in him fully. John Broger says it like this, and I like how he words it. He says, anger and bitterness are two noticeable signs of being focused on self and not trusting God's sovereignty in your life. When you believe that God causes all things to work together for good to those who belong to him and love him, you cannot respond to trials with joy, or you can respond to trials with joy instead of anger or bitterness. We let our anger and bitterness keep us from believing in him and trusting in him and doing what he tells us to do. And we can put our faith and our trust in God's provision and his word. We know that what he says is true, and we know when he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it, and it's not always going to be on our time. It's not always going to be according to our plan, but it's going to be according to his will, what he thinks is best for us. We cannot let the situations or trials of life make us angry and bitter to the point where it takes away our faith and our obedience. But then we move to verses 12 and 13, and it is a very difficult and painful lesson, but it's a true lesson. There is consequences for sin. There's consequences for sin. Moses receives punishment here. He receives punishment for his lack of faith and his disobedience. He is told by God that because he did not believe and because he did not uphold him as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, he and Aaron would not make it into the promised land. Because of what he's done, his lack of belief and the way he takes away from God's holiness. In that moment, that's what he does. He takes away from God's holiness by taking the focus on him and his anger and his complaint by smacking the rock instead of just doing what God has said he takes away from the holiness of God in this moment and he's going to receive the same fate as the previous generation. He will die in the wilderness. You see, here's the thing. God is a holy God. He is a holy God in his righteousness and who he is. He is a holy God and a holy God cannot tolerate, cannot be okay with sin. And here's the thing, because our God is holy, he calls us to be holy as well. Leviticus 19.2, speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And because of this holy standard by which we live, there are consequences for our actions. Colossians 3.25, it says it like this, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done and there is no partiality. God cannot be tolerant. God is not tolerant of our sins. God is not okay with our sins. He calls us to be holy because he is holy and the truth is there are consequences for our actions. The things that we do, the mistakes we make, there are consequences. Just as I cracked my head open several times when I did not listen to what my parents told me to do, there was consequence. 
and there's consequences for our sin. But I don't want to leave it here. I hear this often. It's not fair. When you read through the story of Moses, it's just not fair. I mean, this man has been through all of these things. He has been faithful over and over and over again. All these times when he prayed for the people and he asked God, remember your promise, remember your covenant. And then to bar him from the promised land for one mistake? I've heard that a lot. I've read this comment over and over again. It's a hard pill to swallow. And I've heard people who are not believers who wrestle with this. How could God do this to someone time and time again seem to do the right thing? Well, as we just talked about, there's consequences for our sin. God is a holy God. Let's pretend for a second that Moses didn't already know what would happen when he saw the result of unbelief keep a whole generation from the promised land. He knew what he did was wrong. And here's the thing, God is consistent. God is consistent in his justice, in his judgment. But what I think gets lost here in this thinking is God's mercy and God's grace. This story, when we only see it from the lens of this is not fair, we tend to forget, one, that Moses knew what he was doing, and second of all, what gets lost in this is God's mercy and his grace. <clears throat> the word mercy is defined as compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. Mercy is really withholding the punishment one deserves. And then there's grace, God's unmerited favor. It's kindness from God that we don't deserve. Now let's look at our text. The people are complaining about water again, and God could have said, okay, this is it. This is the moment where I finally have had enough. I'm going to strike you down. But no, in his mercy and his grace, he's going to give them water and he does give them water even after the mistake made by the leaders. God could have said, because of their mistake, you don't get any water. Look at Moses here. God could have said, you are the leader. You set the tone. I'm done with you. But he doesn't. Just because he delivers judgment does not mean that there's a lack of mercy. And he proves this. Let's fast forward the story of Moses just a little bit. Deuteronomy 34, verses 4 through 6. And the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord, and he buried him in the valley of the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. You see, even after his sin, God still allowed Moses to lead the people. He still loved Moses. Only one person in Scripture has been buried by God. And while I don't think the whole reason was just because of his relationship, I think part of it is the relationship that he had with God. He allowed 
Moses to see the land that was promised to them. He allows Moses to see the land that he spent so much time pleading with God for in prayer, encouraging God to remember his promise. And here's the thing that we can remember this morning. Even despite Moses' sin here, despite the fact that he doesn't go into the promised land, God still shows in his life mercy and grace. And a matter of fact, if you fast forward into the New Testament at the Mount of Transfiguration, who's one of the people who appears before, or along with Jesus? Moses. I kind of think that looking at it now, Moses wasn't too concerned about not going into the promised land when he sees where he's at now. But here's the thing. We all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. When we read this story, we are just like the Israelites a lot of times. We are just like Moses a lot of times. We let our anger and our frustration get the bitter, uh, better of us. Sometimes we grumble and we complain. We're just like all the people in this story at one point or another. We are just like them. We all fall short of the glory of God, and we don't live up to the standard of holiness that God has set for us. But here is the thing. God has shown us mercy. 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Titus 3.5, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. He has shown us mercy, and he has given to us the gift of grace. He has given us the gift of grace of grace. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Romans three twenty four, and you are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And this is displayed in the fact that he loved us enough to send his son. He loved us so much that he would send his son for us. 1 John 4, 9 through 10, in this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You see, there are consequences for our sins, but there is also mercy and there is also grace, and he is compassionate to us, and he gives us the opportunity to come before him and confess our sins before him, to repent of our sins. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, there are lessons to be learned in this moment in Moses' life. There's mistakes that Moses made, but guess what? When we make mistakes, just as Moses made mistakes, guess what? There's mercy and there is grace. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And as they do, maybe you are here this morning and you look back at your life and you look at the mistakes that you've made and you feel like the mistakes that you have made have ruined any opportunity for God's grace and mercy in your life. Man, I've just done too much. 
I've just made mistake after mistake. I just so often have, choo have chose to live the wrong way. I've chose to do the wrong things. There's just no way that God could give me grace and mercy. But that is simply not the case. You can choose to give your life to him. You can choose to put your faith and trust in him. He gives grace and mercy when we don't deserve it. And if you're here this morning and you've been waiting, thinking about giving your life to him, but you keep feeling like there's too much in your past that you cannot, there's just no way it can be taken care of. Give it to God. Put your life in his hand. Put your faith and your trust in him and live for him. And if that's you this morning on the connect cards and the chairs around you, you can write that down and I'd love to talk with you. Or maybe this morning you want to come and talk with me. I'd love to talk with you. Or maybe you're here this morning and, and we just get off track. It's anger, maybe it's bitterness over a situation and we've spent so much time being angry and bitter at life and the things going on in our life that we've started to become bitter and angry with God. We're starting to blame him. We're starting to say, God, you've done nothing for me. And maybe what you need to do this morning is you just need to spend time in prayer. You just need to spend time giving all of that to him. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been putting more focus on self rather than God. You can pray about that as well. Right where you're sitting, you could pray or you could come and pray up here. I'd love to pray with you. I know there's brothers and sisters around you who would love to pray with you. But this morning, let us remember the first thing that we need to do, no matter what the situation is, we need to go before God in prayer. We need to pray in all things, and we need to praise him in all things. We need to remember that he deserves the glory. He gets the glory. Everything that happens is because of him. He needs the glory. The glory goes to him. It belongs to him. We need to not let our anger and our frustrations with things around us get us to the point where we lack faith and we start to refuse to be obedient. But when we do, when we fall short, when we make those mistakes, when we sin, when we stumble, when we trip, when we fall, when we don't listen and we have those consequences, we can know that we can go before God who is a God of grace and a God of mercy. We can live for him knowing that he forgives if you're here this morning and you have a decision to make i pray that you do so as we stand and we sing